Our Old Testament reading is from Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 through 16, and can be found on page 197 in the Bibles we provide. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that he that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. This is the word of the, of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Mark 8, verses 31 through 38, and can be found on page 844 in the Bibles we provide. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon passage for this morning, put your finger back at Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 28, and be found on page 198 in the Bibles we provide. A couple points of context. As you remember, we're going through the book of Joshua from a 20,000-foot view. It's a book we haven't studied in the last 15 years, but we're doing Joshua and Judges. So for those of you that are thinking, wait a minute, I was here last week and you were in chapter 10. That was a big jump from 10 to 23. You're right. Um, I will say that all of God's Word is inspired and important and very encouraging. But if you look at all the chapters in between, it is simply an allotment of the land to all the different tribes. So even though there would be some rich things for us to spend time doing, you would get really sick of it after 12 weeks of figuring out where Benjamin's tribe is going and where Nehu's tribe is going. So instead, we're getting to the fast forward to the end, which will be the last words of Joshua. And the last thing, as you know, the reason we read so much scripture is it's the only thing that's promised to accomplish its purpose. It's what God tells us from his scripture, that the preaching of the word, we hope that God blesses it and the spirit uses it but we are confident that God's word will go out the way he sent it and it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. So that's why we read so much scripture. So disclaimers done, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and heads, the judges and the officers of Israel. They presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. When they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. And Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan, came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they gave them into your hand. Sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell on them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." The people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord your God who brought us up out of our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And he did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. 
If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. People said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. It was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are incapable of understanding this without your spirit. So we pray for your spirit to come and fall on us in a fresh way that we may get, see, understand how we can know you, love you, serve you, and share you more through this passage. Thank you for the truth of it. And thank you that we can rely on it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Find ourselves at the end of the book of Joshua, this wonderful book that's given us this great encouragement to be strong, to be courageous as we try to live our lives in this world that God has placed us. And what's beautiful is we get his last words. And what's so interesting, I don't know how often most of you get to spend time um, doing presentations. Maybe it's a school project that you have to do an oral presentation. Maybe it's giving a toast at a wedding or another function. Maybe it's having to give a speech or to present in front of a group of people um, or to give a talk, whatever that is. Think about the time that you invest in that, the time you think about it, worry about it, wonder about it. I won't even bore you with how much time it takes for me to think through a sermon, trusting God's spirit to speak through it. But what's so interesting is the most, some of the most important words that we'll probably ever get to share in our lives, we don't get to plan for, our last words. Imagine for a moment, if you got to pick what you got to say at the end of your life, your family gathered around you, if you knew it was your time and you got to plan and script it, what would you say? How fascinating and interesting that might be. So what I've got for us is some famous last words of some famous people, just to help us think through that. Now, here's some disclaimers, okay? Spoiler alert, all these people are dead. Think you need to know that. If you get surprised by that, if you're like, Benjamin Franklin is dead? He's dead, I, I'm sorry, yes. And then we're gonna do some movie deaths because that's kind of how our culture speaks as we look at these characters and they speak to us as well. So I am probably gonna spoil at least one movie for you today. You can email me later and I will apologize in person, okay? That's what's happening. So here's a few. George Washington, his last words before he died. I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. Beautiful. Ben Franklin, a dying man can do nothing easy. The famous director, Alfred Hitchcock, one never knows the ending. One has to die to know what exactly happens after death. Harriet Tubman, she sang swing low, sweet chariot as her last words. And this one just breaks my heart. Leonardo da Vinci, amazing artist, inventor. His last words, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. That was his thought into death. And then one last one from Civil War General, Major General John Sedgwick. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Good, you got it. Okay, first service is really slow. I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. Like he says to his men, they can't hit an elephant at this distance. And then he's dead. So if you get it, he got shot by the people. Had to, 
And then movies. There's a new Star Wars movie coming out, so I felt a little inspired by that. If you think of the end of Star Wars when Obi Kenobi's, Obi-Wan Kenobi's dead, it says, you can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine, which we found out to be true. And then in Return of the Jedi, that's only fair, Darth Vader dies, and what he says to Luke, his son, at the very end, you were right about me. Tell your sister that you were right about me. You think of Boromir at the end of the Lord of the Rings, the first Fellowship of the Ring, when he's talking to Aragorn at the end of his life, he says, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. I think another one that breaks my heart, if you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan at the end, Captain John Miller talking to Private Ryan, and he says at the end of his life, earn this, James, earn it. You can imagine the guilt that that guy had to feel. I've got to earn the fact that these men died for me. So many more that I could do. We could talk about Rocky. We could talk about, you know, Dobby, but we're going to keep moving forward. Inside Out for the kids, Bing Bong, the little, um, you know, that, that Riley's imaginary person that helps get joy out of the adults are like, what is he talking about? Just trust me. And she says, take her to the moon for me. So beautiful. And then the princess bride, Vicini, at the very, very end, when he's got this duel of wits, he says, never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line and dies. I tell you all this because it helps us to engage. Last words matter. And last words in the Bible are especially important for us to pay attention to. Because these folks, this is the last thing that's written about them. They're trying to make sure that the message gets across to us and to the people of that time. And for Joshua, think about him. Think of the full life he lived. He was in slavery in Egypt. That was part of who his life was. He got to experience the Passover. He got to experience the Red Sea being parted and for all of Pharaoh's men to die. He got to experience Moses bring the law down. He got to experience Moses' shining face. He got to experience the tabernacle. He got to experience God providing and protecting for his people. He got to be one of the spies who entered the land and trusted what God was gonna do. He got to see manna and quail come from heaven. God's perfect perfection and providence for them throughout their entire time in the wilderness that their sandals didn't even wear out. He got to watch the Jordan opened up as they passed through on dry ground. He watched the walls of Jericho fall at just their their shouting. He got to watch God drive out the people. He got to live in the promised land. And at the end of his life, there's only one thing on his mind, God's people. None of it is worth anything if they reject the Lord here. If they don't fulfill the covenant, if they don't do their part, if they're not in it to the end, it's all worth nothing. All these great things that God has done in me, through me, for me, my last hope is that they still get it at the end. He so desperately wanted God's people to grasp what God had done for them so that they wouldn't stray away when he was over and when he was dead. And what I love is how he did this. He gave them a call, absolutely. But he starts with God's mercy and he starts with God's grace. Too often, if you're anything like me, when I hear God's call, the thing that God is wanting me to do and asking me to do, I see it as guilt. I see it as pressure. I see it as, Andrew, you've got to try harder. You've got to work more. You are failing at this over and over again because somehow in my mind, I've twisted it thinking that my 
ability, my obedience brings God's favor. When the truth is that if we are in Christ, we already have God's favor. So what Joshua wants to remind them is you've already got that which you are striving for. But once you see yourself rightly, once you see God rightly, once you see his mercy, once you see his grace, then his call is not a heavy burden at all. So that's what we'll see through these scriptures this morning as he talks both to the leaders and then as he talks to the people. The first thing he's gonna do is gonna remind them of God's mercy. The second thing he's gonna do is remind them of God's grace. Then he will remind them of the call and then he will call them to choose. So the first thing, remind them of mercy. Let's make sure we understand what mercy is. Mercy's not getting what you deserve. Let me give you a quick, easy picture. Let's say that today you leave church and you're driving down Kingston Pike to try to beat all the other churches to your favorite lunch spot. I know none of you do this. I know none of you are worried about how busy that restaurant's gonna be and you don't speed down Kingston Pike to get there first. Sure not. Imagine you get pulled over, okay? You were doing the crime. You were 15 miles per hour over down Kingston Pike, flying, you get pulled over by the cop. He comes, checks you out, and he gives you a warning. You know what that is? Mercy. You deserve the ticket. You did it. No question about it. But he lets you off. He gives you a warning. You get mercy. And that's a small picture. God's mercy is so much bigger than that. We're so much more trouble than the speeding ticket when it comes to our sin. But in this passage, we see God's mercy. How do we see it? Let's start with Abraham, verses two and three. What are they telling us about Abraham? Abraham is this giant of the faith, this great man who they all look up to, all wanna be like, all worship basically. They talk about, oh, we're the children of Abraham. It's their identity as Israel. And what are we told? That Abraham's parents worshiped idols. Now, I don't know about you, that blew my mind. I assumed that that he was kind of like Noah. He was the one righteous person in the whole world. But no, Abraham's parents worshiped idols. So God didn't choose Abraham because of anything that Abraham had to offer. Not because of his goodness, not because of his understanding. Abraham wasn't out seeking God. God found Abraham. And he was an idolater. He worshiped other gods. And God yet still chose him. Their identity as a nation was wrapped up in their separateness, that we're so much better than everybody else. That's why God chose us. And from the very beginning, it's like, no. God chose Abraham because he chose Abraham. God shows mercy because he shows mercy. Because as an idolater, Abraham deserved what all the other nations deserved. All those that were being driven out deserved. And God shows him mercy mercy as he chooses him and his offspring mercy, not getting what they deserve. Now let's not just do Abraham. Let's think about in a more, in a closer context. As he's talking later in that chapter, he says to him, okay, and you need to put away the gods you served in Egypt and across the river. So in Egypt, it tells us that they were idolaters. They were going after the gods of Egypt. They lived there for 400 years. It makes sense. But then he says, the gods you served across the river. What river? Jordan. After God had pulled them out of slavery, after God had sent his spirit, after God had protected them from Pharaoh, as they're over in the wilderness, they still are serving other gods. And not only that, 
It's verse 23, even to this day. The context is put away, not later, put away now, which means right then they were still serving other gods. After all that they had seen God do for them, they were still serving the gods of the world too. They were, they were God plus, God and. I wanna serve God and this. And what that does is encourage my heart because I wanna serve Jesus and. I wanna serve Jesus and the things of this world. I want Jesus and recognition. I want Jesus and success. I want Jesus and the trappings of this world. And where I deserve and where that attitude deserves punishment and wrath, what does God show again and again? Mercy. These people deserve, they were still dabbling with other religions while saying that they love the Lord and God continued to show them mercy, continued to show them favor and love and driving people out from amongst them. And in the context of that mercy, will he call them to put away the idols? Don't put away the idols so then I'll start to give you favor and love you. But because I love you, because you have my favor, put away the idols. What are the idols in your life and in your heart that we're called to put away? That has God called the people to drive out the people from among them, to put them away, to put them to death? What are the things that you and I are still dabbling with, still playing with, that we haven't got rid of because we don't understand that we already have all that we could need in Jesus Christ that will fulfill the deep places in our hearts? He showed him mercy. Then he reminds him of grace. Grace, if mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. If all God does was not give us what we deserve, he's like, okay, I'm not gonna give you death for your sin. But as God often does, he wants to go above and beyond the call of duty. I wanna give you grace. I wanna give you what you don't deserve, which is eternal life with me. Good example for that. If you're in school or ever were in school at some point, it's when everybody in the class bombs the test. Everybody got like less than like 30. That happens from time to time. And the teacher realizes it reflects on her if everybody got a 30. So she takes the highest grade and she makes it 100 and everybody ends up with a curve. Nobody deserves the A, the B, or the C that you just got, but you got it anyway. That's grace. That God not only died for us to take away our sins and take away the punishment of sin, but he gives us the gift of his perfection and his righteousness that we may be with him forever. His mercy and his grace. What grace was God showing to the people at that time? Look at all that he did for them. There's a short recap of, hey, I've been with you since the beginning, since Abraham. I've blessed you, I've helped you, I've protected you, I've guided you, I've directed you, I fought for you, I've fought in front of you, I've driven people out amongst you. And at the very end of that, verse 13, you live in cities you didn't build and in houses that you haven't had to do anything for, not labored for, and you're now eating fruit of plants that you never planted. You wanna know what grace is? That's the picture of grace. God did all the work, so all they have to do is show up and enjoy the benefits. The gospel for us is that God did all the work on both sides. He's the one that made the covenant with us and he's the one who fulfilled the covenant being the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He basically says, I'm gonna give you a salvation that you can't do anything to earn. Now live in it. Now live in the midst of it, live your life in it. 
I've created this perfect life for you now, that you have security, that you have a hope, that you have a destination. Now go live. Now go live. And not living like you've got to then re-earn it or like you have to be the person at the end, that you've got to make it all work. And if it doesn't work, it's all on you. Live in the truth of my love for you, my mercy and my grace for you. But in the end, the mercy and grace always is followed by a call. And he reminds them of this call. It's a call they've gotten multiple times, multiple books of the Bible. And in this chapter, the 16 times the word serve is used. Serve the Lord. And this idea of serving the Lord is to know him, to love him, obey him, serve him. And he gives us three pictures of kind of what that looks like. How do we serve the Lord? How can he be the one that we want to give? Not only our mental assent to. Serving the Lord means he's the one we're actively following. It means he engages all aspects of our life that we serve him because we acknowledge and believe that he is bigger and greater than we are. And when we see his grace and his mercy, how could we but serve him and love him? He tells us to do that first by keeping his word. Just be very strong to keep his word. How important it is for us to know him. How can we serve him if we don't know him? And what part for you and I does God's word play in our life? What it says is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Is that truth for you? Is it the word of life for you? Or as often like it is for me, just one more thing I wanna add to my list of things to do. One more thing I can check off and say that I did today rather than look to see how deeply he cares and loves for us. I think so often we turn this into obligation because we forget. We are a people who so quickly forget what God has done. We are what have you done for me lately kind of people. So when we look and see and remember what God's done to see the, the, the abundance of his care, his grace, his mercy, and his love, what could we but do but serve? But it's also this picture of cling. Cling to the Lord, hold tightly, grasp as if your life depended upon it. The first time we see this word is in Genesis chapter two. A man shall leave his mother and father and he shall cleave, which is the same word, shall cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What he's giving us a picture of is this is a wedding. This is a marriage. This is when we are connected to the Lord. We need to be connected in that deep way, that deep love. That's what it should look like, that we are letting go of other things to cling to him. And what it's not supposed to be is clinging to the world. We see later the challenge to not cling to the things of the world, to not hold on to them. He's saying, separate yourself from their beliefs because God knew where it would go. And to us, that feels, if we're really honest, it feels very intolerant of God. I'm here to tell you intolerance comes from ignorance. And God is not ignorant. God knew what would happen if they start to acknowledge them and they start to associate with them and they start to adopt them in, they're not gonna be witnesses for him. They're gonna give in to the idolatry of those people. He says, this is what's gonna happen. If you do this, there's gonna be snares. There are gonna be snares and whips and thorns to you, traps to you. None of those sound good. None of us wanna be caught in a trap. None of us want thorns in our eyes. None of us wanna be whipped. He says, that's what's gonna happen. 
if you go after them instead of after me? Because I'm the one who can give you purpose and love and care. Cling to me. Hold on to me because I'm holding on to you. God never lets his people sin successfully. And for them who thought they've gotten away with it, who think that God hasn't seen and noticed all these idols that they're serving. God says, I see them, I know them, I know your hearts, I know what you're wired to, I know what sin you'll go after, and it's this. For you and for me, do we know what sin we go after? Do we know what things we think are gonna satisfy us? The things that are gonna bring us life and joy that we find to be empty. And the last thing he says, you have to love the Lord. It seems so basic, it seems so easy, but it is so Easy for us to love the Lord, to serve the Lord without loving him. Be like the older brother in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. What's he say to his father? I've been slaving for you all these years. We treat serving the Lord as this duty and obligation because we forget who we are. We forget that we're his children. We forget what he's done for us. We forget how he's poured out love and grace and mercy upon us. So he reminds them of the call to go and to serve, to separate from the ideology of these other people so you don't get trapped up in it. And then he gives them a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. The choice comes at the end of all this. Now that you understand my grace, you understand my mercy, you understand your call, you have to choose. It's not choosing salvation. I don't choose to be saved or not to be saved. That's a God thing. But do you choose how to live your life once you're saved? As his child, how will you live? He says, are you gonna choose the gods of Egypt? Are you gonna choose the gods of the land? Or are you gonna choose the Lord? Thomas Edison said that people are incurably religious. We will serve something. We will serve someone. Even those who don't acknowledge there's a God, they worship something. What will we worship as his people? because he gives us the consequences. If you don't, if you choose other things, if you are unfaithful, you'll be driven from the land. You won't be there anymore. This beautiful promise land, you'll go back like it was in the wilderness. Basically what he's saying to them is I'm gonna give you the desires of your heart. If you wanna be associated and connected to them, then I'm just gonna let you live with them. And the sad truth is this is exactly what happened. The people commit, they say, oh no, we're gonna only follow the Lord. And Joshua's like, I've seen this story play out before. You promised this, and then two weeks later, you're bowing down to a golden calf. I know how this plays out. And yet they say, no, we will absolutely serve the Lord. And as we'll find out next week as we start Judges, it lasts for one generation. One generation, they serve the Lord. And the consequences come eventually, but you see God's long suffering. So they're gonna serve after other gods over and over and over again. And God continues to send them prophets. He continues to send them priests. He continues to send them kings. He speaks his word. He loves them. He cares for them. He shows them grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, hoping that they'll turn away until finally exactly what he promises will happen happens and they are sent away, off into exile. And for us, it's like, oh, this is the Old Testament God I've been looking for. Until we look at the gospel. What was our gospel reading? Jesus said, if you're gonna come after me, 
He first says, I've got to die. He's giving the same idea. He's reminding them of grace and mercy. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to die for the sins of the people. I'm the sacrifice that has to come. Peter's like, no, you're never going to die. He's like, yes, I will. Get behind me, Satan. He says, if anyone's going to come after me, they got to take up their cross, die to themselves, die to this world and follow me. If you're ashamed of me, the coming of the son of man, the son of man's going to be ashamed of them. There's a sense in which so much of his grace and mercy is ours for the taking. But so often we're going to choose the things of this world to the point where Romans 1 tells us that he gave them over to the desires of their heart. Because in some ways that's the most loving and gracious thing he can do. For us, he calls on us to cling to him. And he says, who do you choose? And at the end of this whole thing, there's this beautiful picture of them. Even though they're gonna break the covenant, they go back to renew the covenant with God. And God knows they're gonna break the covenant. And what does he do? He still comes around. He still comes and is a part of it. And for you and I, we get the same opportunity every time we come to this table. You come to this table as God's people reminded of his mercy for you reminded of his grace for you, reminded of the call for you to be salt and light in this world and for you to have a choice. Come forth, believe in this forgiveness, in this grace, in this mercy. Remember what he's done for you and then take and eat and see that the Lord is good that he has taken away your sins as far as the east is from the west. Though your sins are like scarlet, they were made white as snow. Because of that, let us go and love and serve him as we say at the end of every service. That is his call to us. Who will you choose today? Who will you choose to serve this week?